Did you know electric vehicles still have a 12-volt battery on board? Or that Varta provides 70% of Europe's new cars with the AGM start-stop battery? Become a battery expert. Search Varta e-learning now for free-to-access bite-sized training modules. Hello and welcome to the Professional Motor Mechanic podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Nee, editor of Professional Motor Mechanic magazine. The March issue of PMM is available at your local factor, so why not pop down there and pick up a free copy? This month we have some great technical articles from Febby, Delphi, Myler, and many more. Check out our website and social media channels to stay on top of the latest news and developments affecting your business, as well as the best technical advice on the web. This month I'm going to talk to you about the MOT and the government's proposed changes. Do we still need an annual test in this era of over-engineered, ultra-low emissions vehicles? Or do we need it more than ever? It's a topic that never fails to get technicians' blood flowing, as these garage owners proved. Well, it's a stupid idea for a start. It's a dangerous thing to do, to leave it two years. Customers only know when there's something wrong with their car it's not fit for purpose for the road when they bring it for an MOT. You'll hear from Barry Babster from MOT Juice and Nick Lies from the RAC about what exactly it is the government is proposing and why mechanically advanced vehicles shouldn't be a get-out from the MOT. As usual, we'll hear from Freya Coleman about the latest news in the aftermarket and from Tom Henman, editor of Professional Motor Factor magazine. Just an update on our YouTube channel. Thank you to all of you who responded to last month's call for product testers. It seems many of you are eager to get your name in lights. Please keep your emails coming. If you'd like to get involved and review some tools, drop me an email at pmm at Okay, now over to Freya for some news. Thanks, Kieran. I'm Freya Coleman, PMM's news and products editor, here to bring you this month's aftermarket news. Motor Vehicle Block Exemption Order Draft Published Catalytic Converter Theft is on the rise The Government's MOT consultation has been extended The Secretary of State has accepted the Competition and Markets Authority's recommendation to replace the MVBER with a United Kingdom Motor Vehicle Block Exemption Order, or the MVBEO MVBEO is legislation that ensures the aftermarket is on level footing to compete with dealers. Criticisms of the draft from the industry so far include it not going far enough to preserve current healthy competition levels and concerns about access to security-related information. A Berkshire garage owner has recently had 12 catalytic converters stolen in one night. He estimates that each theft has cost him around £1,600. One of the cars affected is a sports car whose catalytic converter can only be imported from Japan. Catalytic converter theft has been branded by one MP as an epidemic. Following a widespread trade body campaign, the Department for Transport has extended the MOT consultation closing date by three weeks until the 22nd of March. Stuart James from the IGA commented, The initial six-week consultation period was far too short to thoroughly consider the impact that the many complex topics covered within could have on road safety. 
Allowing a further four weeks to the consultation period will enable stakeholders time to appropriately consider and respond to the extensive detail contained within the consultation documents. What do you think about the proposed changes? Have you had your say? Email me at fcolman at hamerville.co.uk Lastly, PMM has confirmed it will be hosting a stand at this year's Auto Mechanica Birmingham, which will take place on the 6th, 7th and 8th of June at the NEC in Birmingham. Come and visit our stand for your chance to be featured on the PMM podcast. And that's the news from this month from PMM. And now, back to Kieran. Before we jump into the hot topic of MOTs, you're going to hear a conversation here between Kirsty from the PMM team and Graham Ryder, Group Technical and Quality Manager at this month's episode sponsor, Alliance Automotive Group. You'll hear about the distributor's new TechMate technical service and get some great best practice advice on brake replacement. My name's Graham Ryder. I'm the Group Technical and Quality Manager for the Alliance Automotive Group. So what is TechMate? TechMate has been around for a long time originally with APEC, but it was a way where we wanted to go out and help support workshops and garages and motor factors and get them to really understand and believe in the product because we know that we've got a fantastic product, but quite often it gets blamed as being an issue, especially if you've got brake squeal or brake judder. The perception can be sometimes that that product is no good. Now with Alliance Automotive Group, we've got several private label brands so it's sort of like supporting those brands through training workshop visits showcasing and promoting our products and services and delivering technical training but most of all best practice can you tell us more about what you mean by best practice best practice is related to how to carry out a task correctly typically you know if you're changing discs and pads on a vehicle most workshops do this day in and day out and don't have any issues but if they don't do it correctly, there is a chance that they will get brake squeal or brake judder. And it's rarely the product that's faulty, but it often gets the blame because they haven't followed that process correctly or to the standard. So what does TechMate recommend? For braking, we have an acronym which we say CALM. It means clean, accessorise, lubricate and measure. Cleaning when you're doing no set of brake pads, you need to take the caliper and the carrier off and also the slider pins out to examine them, but then also to remove any rust or debris from the contact surfaces. You probably use a wire brush and a caliper file, but we want to make sure that the pad fits snugly into the caliper and the carrier and there is no resistance caused by the corrosion that's there. That step of cleaning the caliper and carrier is often missed, skipped or isn't done thoroughly enough. But our brake pads, for example, they come from the factory and the measurements and the tolerances are exactly the same as the original pad. You need to make sure that the caliper carrier is, is cleaned of rust and corrosion so that pad will fit nicely in place. We don't want it to be loose in the caliper and carrier because when the pad oscillates or vibrates, that's when we hear that as brake squeal. If you're changing a brake disc, corrosion builds up over time on the vehicle hub. So it's really, really important that that surface is cleaned thoroughly, almost back to bare metal so you can see your face in it. And that's to ensure that the disc is fitted flush to the hub. If the disc isn't flush, then the vehicle won't leave the workshop with brake judder. But further down the line, because of that what we call lateral run out, the disc will start to wear unevenly and that will cause brake judder further down the line. Okay, that's the clean. What do you mean by accessories? 
So accessories could be brake pads, caliper springs, or abutment shims. And those are the, the little shims that sit in the caliper carrier and allow the pads to move freely. They also hold the pad firmly in place to help prevent it vibrating. And typically these are abutment shims are sort of like a spring steel. So over a period of time, they can lose their tensile strength by up to 50% over a two year period. So if you're replacing a set of brake pads and you're not changing this hardware, then potentially that pad can vibrate and cause noise, which we would hear as brake squeal. So it's really, really important that these springs are replaced at the same time as doing a brake job. We'd recommend that the workshop ask for them when they order a set of brake pads and we coach and train our factor staff to recommend them. Why is lubrication important, Graham? So lubrication is important because we we want that pad to move freely and we also need to make sure that we lubricate the caliper slider pins so that allows the caliper to move freely as well. The number one rule here is you should never ever use copper grease on the brake system. It's not the correct lubricant for that environment. It does have its uses, but within the brake environment, it quite often dries up and you just end up with like a copper goo. So it makes it more sticky than good. So it's not really a lubricant. It contains copper, which is conductive. So in modern vehicles, we've got ABS systems and quite often the ABS sensor is you know, within that braking you know, environment. And if you get any copper grease or copper slip onto the ABS sensor itself, it can interfere with the ABS signal. So you might get an engine management light come on or a brake warning light come on, dash the vehicle. But probably the number one reason is that it causes galvanic corrosion. And that's when two dissimilar metals react with each other. And depending on where that metal sits in a table of nobility against each other, it can actually speed up corrosion. We would recommend a metallic free high melting point petroleum based grease for the abutment shins and a silicon based grease for the slider pins because we can't use a petroleum based grease on the slider pins because of the rubber boots because a petroleum based grease actually reacts with the rubber and can cause them to become brittle and split. And what about the final part, the measure part? Always make sure that once you've cleaned the hub, when you've put the disc onto the hub, you should always carry a run out check and ensure that the lateral run out is within the manufacturer's tolerances. But typically this is now less than 80 microns. So the measuring relates to a brake disc. So if you're changing a brake disc, hopefully you've done the step where we talk about cleaning. And to verify that you've done that cleaning process correctly, what we should always do, we should carry out the measurement process, which is checking for lateral runout. So you would use a DTI gauge onto that disc to ensure that the lateral runout is within the manufacturer's tolerance. And if you don't do that process, the vehicle will leave the workshop without brake cheddar, but after between two to 5,000 miles, it starts to wear the disc unevenly. And that's what we call disc thickness variation. Yeah, so CALM is clean, accessorize, lubricate and measure. And those are the four steps that you need as best practice when you're doing a brake pad or brake disc change. The TechMate team visit garages on a daily basis. Obviously, they go out and promote best practice and they will always use this CALM process. So clean, accessorise, lubricate and measure. Clean, make sure that the caliper, carrier, slider pins are free from rust and debris. If you're doing a disc, make sure the hub surface is clean. When we talk about accessories, always replace the caliper, spring or abutment point shims and lubricating. Do not use copper grease, 
use the correct greases for the brake environment, which would be a high melting point petroleum-based grease, and for the slider pins, a silicon-based grease. For measuring, always make sure that once you've cleaned the, the hub, when you've put the disc onto the hub, you should always carry a runout check and ensure that the lateral runout is within the manufacturer's tolerances. But typically, this is now less than 80 microns. Thanks, guys. Some really useful stuff there. So here we are again. The government is proposing, and I quote, changes to the date of the first MOT and research into other MOT enhancements. After many threats about bringing in a 422 system, which to most people just sounds like a football formation, but to you and I means a four-year delay before the first MOT test is required, with a two-year gap between each test thereafter. With these proposals, however, the government would appear to be happy settling on a 411 system. What's the 411? asked Mary J. Blige back in 1992. What's the 411? Was Mary J. Blige secretly advocating for a less stringent MOT system? Uh, probably not. Anyway, according to the government's own estimates, a change to the date of the first MOT could mean as many as 3 million fewer MOTs are carried out, or a loss of £123.6 million on an annual basis. So before we drop in on this month's guests, let's hear what workshops themselves have to say about extending the MOT. Absolutely ridiculous. It's never going to happen in a million years. No, it's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's a dangerous thing to do to leave it two years between cars being like looked at like once they're obviously out of manufacturer's warranty. So bad idea. Roads will be less safe then. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, there'll be a lot of problems on the roads, a lot of crashes. Yeah. People, you know, waiting until their cars stop before they do anything. So yeah, definitely not a good idea. Personally, it should be on time or mileage. So if you do a certain amount of mileage from the last MOT, it should be re-MOTing the car again. Yeah, yeah. Um, because again, a guy doing 60,000 miles a year as opposed to a, someone doing 5,000 miles a year, yeah. it's a massive difference in yeah, the, yeah. the, the rigours of the car. It would be very dangerous because customers only know when there's something wrong with their car, it's not fit for purpose for the road, when they bring it for an MOT. Some customers don't even know how to change tyres, look at tyres, top up wheels, that sort of stuff. Because we rely on the, the, the income of people getting their cars, not just fixed, but MIT'd as well. It's safety, you can't put a price on safety. Well, as you heard, it's a red card and a three-match ban for both the 411 and 422 systems from the garages. So if, as you have heard, extending the MOT will make the roads less safe, why is the government proposing it at all? Is it simply about the cost of living and saving 54 quid every other year? Or has the VAR ref gone completely haywire from the sidelines? Well, to find out more, I spoke to Nick Lies, Head of Roads Policy at RAC, which recently published a survey claiming that over half of drivers in the UK felt extending the MOT was a bad idea. I also spoke to Barry Babster, Managing Director of MOT Juice, an organisation which trains MOT testers and ensures test stations remain compliant. To begin, I'm going to take you to Nick, who will explain just what changes the government is proposing. The changes, I guess when you look at what the government's proposing, there are four or five key areas. So the first area is changing the first MOT after registration from three years to four years. So a four-year-old car would then become, I say, eligible, but it would require an MOT uh, rather than at three years. The other 
part of the consultation is looking at the frequency of the MOT. So should it be every year or every two years thereafter? So that's something which is very, very controversial. The other parts of the MOT focus on emissions testing, whether or not that could be a little bit more uh, robust. And then it looks at a couple of other areas that I think are quite important. Firstly, how do we reduce perhaps fraud? So whether or not we can make uh, it, it much more robust for garages to conform to a certain standard, whether or not customer service should be included within the general overview of how an MOT is conducted, making sure that we increase compliance for, for drivers getting their vehicles tested on time. And then the final part is a bit sort of in the future, I guess, which focuses on how do we evolve the MOT to look at things like electric vehicles, the key technologies that are going into vehicles such as ADAS technology. So that could include automated lane keeping systems that could include adaptive cruise control, things like that. So it's about looking at the here and now, but also looking at the future. The headlines uh, so far have mostly been taken up with the frequency element of it. But what you're saying is actually that there, there are quite a few different pillars involved. And it's not just about frequency. Yeah, there are a number of things involved in this. It's a a very broad look at changing the MOT system. And whilst all the headlines have clearly been on the frequency of the MOT, there is actually some good stuff in there looking at how we make electric vehicles more, how do we test electric vehicles going forward? Does that mean we need to have battery tests? Uh, how do we integrate the um, in, within the MOT some of the key systems within the vehicle? Some people, some of the listeners will have things like uh, adaptive cruise control in their vehicle. How can we make sure that that's safe? And of course, that's quite complex because a lot of that technology is inbuilt within the vehicle. So proposals to extend the frequency are just one part of an overall package. But does changing the test to better suit modern technology mean less testing is needed? Isn't it true, as we heard from the garages we spoke to, that more technology simply means more can go wrong? Something about the government's reasoning just doesn't add up. I put it to Nick to see what he had to say. The government's attitude is that, or the government's line is that vehicles that we drive today are completely different from vehicles that we drove, say, 30, 40 years ago. I completely understand that. Vehicles generally are more reliable but that's mechanically when you look at some of the aspects of the MOT you're looking at things like suspensions brakes tires all of those things haven't really changed in the last 30 40 years those are still big areas that can be affected by things like uh, the weight of the vehicle the state of the road and of course, the way that people drive. So it's really vital that those are continually tested as we already do today. And I don't think that, you know, when you look at the the, the failure rates of MOTs, for example, you look at things like lighting, suspension, brakes, tires, all of those key areas, those make up the biggest proportion of failures at an MOT. That makes sense, actually. If the MOT is primarily designed to monitor wear parts, then regularity is kind of important. Let's turn to Barry now from MOT Juice. I first spoke to Barry last year when the government was threatening a two-year MOT period. Nothing came of that at the time, but I thought we had better have an update as things seem a little bit more serious this time around. 
you're going to hear Barry talk about bringing EVs into the MOT. And, well, his argument might sound familiar. I've got mixed opinions. I think that you could argue, based on stats, that cars could push to four years for the first MOT. But if we bring electric vehicles in, which are naturally heavier, and they're eating tyres for fun, and most of the people that are driving them fit into perhaps your millennial box, where if they looked up from their phone or the technology within their car for long enough, they might realise they had ball tyres. So I, I don't think there's an argument for allowing it to go to four years, because I think road safety will be impacted, especially on tyres with EV. And, and, and um, hybrid, really, because they are that bit heavier. So according to people who know far more than I do, it sounds like despite all the technical changes happening under the bonnet, nothing fundamental has changed about the necessity of an annual MOT. So what's it all about? Well, Barry thinks currying favour with the public might have something to do with it, even if, as that RAC survey shows, it's not actually what the public wants. The government's piece seemed to start it up, started off about could they win favour with the general public by saving us from having to do an MOT at 311? I don't think that's going to make anybody vote in or vote out any particular political party. So it was a storm in a teacup. But here we are with an MOT consultation that's got thrown up. And now that's been extended because they've, I think they've come at it a little bit half-cocked, really. They've, they've probably should have done a bit more research and got a bit better data and actually maybe just gone quietly to the industry before they shaped that consultation document. Do you, do you think it's a, a vote spinner? Not really. I, I, don't, I just don't think the general public, you know, I don't choose based on how often I have an MOT. I don't think there's enough in it to, to, to keep the government in favour. It's a soundbite when something else has gone wrong to change a narrative for a couple of days. That's all it really is, isn't it? But that's politics. You know, they, they've got to play their game. But they're playing with our livelihoods. It's a bit worrying, but yeah. What can garages do then to try and stop these changes from happening? Um, well, they can, they can jump on the government consultation and have their say. Um, we've, got, we've got a little video that you can share with them if you want. That is how to do that in under five minutes. There's a long form and a short form. And, and actually, I went through the whole government consultation document and it did take me the best part of an hour to read it and comment on it. There's some good petitions for voting for certain things to change. It's important to remember that these are just proposed changes at this stage and that the other MOT enhancements part of the consultation encompasses important areas of the MOT, including emissions, autonomous vehicles and EVs. If everyone in the industry signs the IGA's petition against the changes and also takes part in the consultation, then who knows? Maybe the MOT will stay as frequent as it is. Maybe it'll get up to date on new technology, become more stringent. And, well, I'm trying not to be that guy who celebrates the goal that everyone else can see is offside. Maybe there'll even be a price rise. Okay, I can see the linesman raising his flag on that one. Still, one can hope. You can find the links to the MOT juice video and to the petition against the changes in this episode's show notes. Now, over to you, Tom. Here we go again. Welcome to the Professional Motor Factor segment. I'm always conscious of commenting on the weather, as personally I'm fed up of the winter weather now and spring can't come quickly enough. However, I know that usually spells bad news for the battery, wiper blades, starter motor and alternator sales. 
Of course, it was raining goals at Anfield a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, Manchester United fans. I'm a less city supporter, so I have little to shout about at the minute either. So what do we know? Well, since we last spoke, the MOT public consultation has been extended after industry pressure. LKQ Corporation acquired GSF's parent company. AAG remained on the acquisition trail with Direct Auto Parts and Car Parts Warehouse, the latest to join. And UK AFCAR believes workshops are being increasingly restricted access to data and repair information. And we're only into March. I've been out and about as usual, chatting to motor factors and getting their take on industry matters. I'm delighted to welcome Matthew Pope and James Fletcher for YMF Car Parts to this pod. YMF was founded by husband and wife team Bill and Mary with original premises the result of a renovation of an old modest butcher shop in Lowerthorpe in York. Currently, YMF has sites in York, Moulton, Selby, Scarborough, Poppleton and Harrogate, Harrogate being its latest. I asked Matthew if the current economic crisis had affected the way customers go about servicing and maintaining their vehicles. I always say, no, a, a, a car doesn't break down because you haven't got any money. Cars break down. Yeah. Cars have always broke down. I've mm. been over 30 years here and we've, we've been in this position two or three times before. And when it's good, we do well. And when it's crap, we do well. Because can't afford the new car, I'll have to mend that one. Well, I can afford the new car, I'll give that to my daughter. We then moved on to what YMF's customers look for when choosing a supplier. Quality, price, service, or anything else for that matter. James chipped in with an observation. When it's busy <laughs> like that, you find that... And it is busy. That, that they just, that when they ring up an order, they just want the bits. Just want the bits. Service becomes higher than, than, than the price. Yeah, yeah. Becomes, becomes, you know, number one priority is, I need it here, I need it here quick. You find when they've got more time, that's when price becomes more... Um, you know, more priority, but but at the moment it's service. You know, we just can't get bits out quick enough to people, and they're just ordering. No one, no one is asking prices. Just send them, get them in. Send, send them. them. What do you think? Is that your stance at the minute, or do you take a different view? I enjoyed a two-hour interview with the directors so much so that my written piece had to be split into two parts. If you fancy some bedtime reading, other than PMM, of course, check out the February and March issues of Professional Motor Factor on our website. In the meantime. Thanks for listening. And Kieran, back to you. Cheers, Tom. Really good insight there on how workshops are handling the cost of living crisis from the factor viewpoint. I want to say thank you to all our guests this month and to our sponsors, Alliance Automotive Group and Varta Batteries. Thank you to the whole team and to all our guests and thank you for listening. Next month, we're striving for success. For many, mechanical repairs is the easy part of running a workshop business. So what can you do to turn a struggling business into a successful one? See you in April.